This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Ingestion settings. Sometimes you have to just reset the ingestion settings. If it's there. Just reselect them anyway. Oh, yeah, because you're a hit preview. All right. All right. Hit anyway. start stream again. <clears throat> Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another Anatomy of Movie. And in the words of Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Spider-Man has come home to the Marvel Universe. Stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. That... That's right, ladies and gentlemen. We're doing Spider-Man Homecoming, and he has come back to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, or... Not back. He was never there, perhaps. But at least he's back in the Marvel family, um, although still part of the Sony family. <laughs> Nonetheless, we're going to talk about it. We have, uh, we're speaking of homecoming, we're back as well. <laughs> it is a homecoming. Uh, we've been off for a couple weeks this summer. Uh, what can we say? You know, we didn't expect the vacations and the time offs that we took, but we did. And, uh,. I know a lot of you guys have been asking for us to do this movie, so um, even though we're doing it late, hopefully we do it justice for you guys. Without further ado, we have the Marissa Serafini. Hello, everyone. Yes, I'm back. And, <laughs> and the one and only, uh, the Greek Stallion, <laughs> Dimitri Panos. Hey, movie fans, I am like so excited to be back. Never take two weeks off at the same time again. I, I, get, like, I get withdrawal when I don't get to talk about movies. It was, so, like, it was is, quite unexpected. No, it was unexpected. <laughs> no I, I, I listen. I totally get it. I'm, I'm glad this is a homecoming. I, I'm, I really do miss doing the show. I really do, and, and getting to talk movies. So I'm excited. Absolutely. And as always, uh, for those of you just joining us, welcome. Uh, we re- truly appreciate it. If you're returning, well, thank you as well. Uh, for those of you who are returning, you know that we are very spoiler filled. So. We assume that you've seen the movie, and especially at this point, now that we're a couple weeks behind the release date of Spider-Man Homecoming, uh, you really should have seen this movie. It's a, it's a fun movie. Um, <laughs> so understand that it's spoiler-filled. Second, uh, you know, as we talk about it, we're going to talk about various things, plot lines, production, so forth. Uh, so the various notes that we have as we dissect this, um, you can also follow along with by downloading the rundown in the description box. There's a link there. You click it. And uh, you get the rundown. So there you have it. Um, but without further ado, let's dive in and start with quick thoughts. Uh, starting with you, Marissa. 
Um, I really enjoyed this film, and I'm like, I like the the previous Spider-Mans and those iterations too. Those were fun, you know, growing up and seeing at different times in my life. Um, I really enjoyed this, and I thought it was fresh. It felt young, like the teenage kind of young, but not in a bad way. Just like that feel good that we all kind of know and love for in like John Hughes <laughs> movies and stuff. But I'm personally a big fan of Tom Holland, so I was like already excited. Um, when that whole casting came about and we all knew it was like down to like five actors and it finally was Tom and I was like yes alright I'm already going to see this because um, I love him he was great in The Impossible and everything following since so uh, I, I think he's a very strong actor and he has a lot of charm and charisma What like this is a teenager that we're supposed to like and I did and it was fun. There was humor throughout and that you can appreciate, but the also adult humor that you can appreciate. It was just a nice balance of a lot of things. And it was light. And I enjoy that for a comic book movie. All right. I enjoyed this film. Dimitri? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I didn't think it was awful. I didn't love it um, like a lot of people did. And I guess when we talk reception, uh, I can get into this more. Um, but I didn't love it. And many people say this is like the best MCU movie. But again, I wanted to talk over praise when we talk about reception. Aspects that I loved about the movie that I thought were really good, I should say, are, you're right, Phil, you opened up the show. It's, it's the first time that we're seeing a movie, a Marvel movie, not be released by Disney, Sony. So this deal was made to fold Spider-Man in to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. 17 years in the making, so to speak. Uh, and yes, he was introduced in Civil War. Um, but it's a big deal. Like, from a, from a business standpoint, from a uh, studio distribution standpoint, like, that's a big deal. Uh, and now, for, for, for Marvel, who knows what this will do for properties like Deadpool and X-Men, you know, who were released by, like, Fox. So it opens up the door. At least it opens up the door for discussion, so... We could have multiple studio distribution outlets that we can start seeing other Marvel Universe characters from Disney show up in a Fox movie, vice versa. I think that's fun. That's a big deal, too. Uh, another good thing that I liked about the movie is that this wasn't yet another rehash of Boy Getting Bit by Radioactive mm -hmm. Spider. We know the story. And this jumps in about, I don't know, six months or so after he's already been bitten. He already has his powers. There's no rehashing of that. I, I enjoyed that a lot, too. I also like that he's only squaring off against one villain. I think sometimes in these superhero movies, they feel either they, they're insecure about their superhero and they have him facing off against multiple villains, which it gets bogged down. Uh, the last Amazing Spider-Man movie is a good example uh, of that. Uh, and this one didn't. This one didn't have that. And it was a good villain, too, as portrayed by Uncle Keaton. Thing that I didn't like about this movie was, um, even though it's a Spider-Man standalone movie, it really isn't a standalone movie. And I felt that, you know, he relied a little bit too much on his friends, Tony Stark and Iron Man, to get through this movie, where... I wished it was just Spider-Man. I wished... I don't mind if they bookend it with Tony Stark, but my biggest thing was it was missing the heart of Spider-Man, which is part of the Stanley Coda, so to speak, of with great power comes great responsibility. 
This one was, with a great suit comes great responsibility. And it really wasn't so much about his power, it was about earning the right to have this techno suit, which I felt they relied on a little bit too much. There was too much tech in it. And that sort of took away from the heart of Peter Parker and the character Spider-Man. And again, too, um, for those who have cable or the Spider-Man movies, the, the, the Sam Raimi ones, mm-hmm. have been on cable a ton, particularly Spider-Man and Spider-Man 2. Those two movies are really solid storytelling movies about this superhero. And it's never about what gadgetry he has. And again, maybe in the comic books, because I haven't read Spider-Man in a long time, maybe he is all teched out, but I like more of a superhero that has to deal with his powers and the best moral way to use those powers. And for a kid, that's that's a lot to comprehend. And that's one of the, I think that's one of the big, part of the meat of a Spider-Man story. So I thought Tom Holland was good. The cast was, you know, there. Uh, I wish there was more interaction. Again, less Tony Stark. I would have rather had more Aunt May. Mm-hmm. Aunt May, I think, should have been his moral compass. More so than Tony Stark. Nothing against Robert Downey Jr. and that character. But Marissa Tomei, I don't care that they went Marissa Tomei and younger. She's I great. Love her. Right, right. I mean, it's hard not to. I just wish there was more of her more or less guiding Tom Holland. Like, if she had said... With with great power comes responsibility. She has the best reaction <laughs> in finding and learning when she learns that her nephew uh, is uh, is Spider Man. Awesome, hysterical. Um, but I wish there was more of her. So yeah, it was a little bit of a mixed bag. I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it. I don't think it's the best in the MC universe, but I did have fun. It'll look great in 3D too when I saw it. So um, throw that in there. We have Anthony in the booth. Anthony is our. Uh our engineer for today, and he also saw the movie. He was dying to get in on this, so <laughs> Anthony, I'll let you have a chance to speak. What did you think? Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty great. I liked it. I like it a lot. I think it's like uh, I don't think I have top three like Spider-Man movies, but it's definitely my top two, and then it'd be like Spider-Man Two and Spider-Man Homecoming. Um, I liked how he started off without. No, he started. He kind of starts with the suit. But by the end of it, he doesn't have this suit, and he, it's kind of like what uh, Robert Downey Jr. Uh, Iron Man tells him, like if you're um, that one line he has with, uh, you know, if you're if, nothing without the suit, then you don't deserve the exactly. Suit. And at the end, you know, he doesn't have this suit, and he still is able to save the day and be the hero without the suit, without all that tech. And I was a little put off with the tech too. Like I wasn't sure how I felt about it. I still have like mixed feelings about it. Like it was cool, but also, why does he need all this tech? Like he's Spider-Man, you know. Um, overall, I really enjoyed the film. It was fun. I liked. I really liked the colors of it, the brightness of it, the fun of it, how lighthearted it was. Um, I liked his friend, the man in the chair, and everything. Some people were I saw online was a little mixed about that character. I personally enjoyed that character. I think his name was uh, Ned. Right. Yeah, Ned. Um, this, is, this is an origin story for the man in the chair. Right. Yeah, I've heard that too. Yeah, it's, I thought it was pretty great. And um, Zendaya was also really great with uh, her like comedic beats and stuff. She, I think she nailed it spot on. Um, but yeah, overall, it was a, a really good movie, really fun. Um, yeah, I agree, I agree with uh, Dimitri. I don't think it's like the best one. Uh, then again, it's all like opinions. I think it's uh, it's up there for sure with like s- some of the best uh, MCU uh, movies. Overall, it's definitely a must see. You know, I think for, for, for my money, uh, and I'm not the first one to say this, but um, 
he really the, the, he really is your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man in full in a, in a full sense. You know, he could by the end he could join the Avengers, but he chooses not to. Uh, and so that's that's what this movie really is. It's a little bit more low key and um, less so that he's fighting just one villain. Uh, I just like the fact that the stakes they're great, but but it's not like the world's going to explode if we don't pull this wire or right. something of that nature. <clears throat> like it's it, it's still low key, but in his world there, there's a lot at stake there, uh, you know, and and it hits home. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that. To be honest, one of the things I didn't like about the movie, I, I felt the action wasn't on par with a lot of things, and maybe that's just um, I'm having action scene fatigue. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I don't know. It, it didn't necessarily bring that many original aspects to it. I, I felt, um, but what I did appreciate, the, the car ride between um, Vulture and Spider-Man was one of the more intense things ever and had no action apart from him right. taking out a gun. I got to say that was like probably my favorite scene. Yeah, and I'm, I'm that, was, that was just based on acting too cuz it, it just was. shows like both of those guys are like really strong actors before, you know, even just but, comic book aspect of it. That scene for me was a mixed bag. I liked the uh, I liked the entering the home. Mm-hmm. It's like, "Oh, okay. All right, I like this." The first part of the car ride, it was like Zendaya's character, their Michelle, or uh, I mean, just had like verbal diarrhea. Like she was. That was Zendaya. Uh, that, oh, that's right. I'm sorry. My mistake. You're right. It, like the girl, his girlfriend it, his, that he asked. Right. Yeah, the prom. prom. To, I'm to gonna call prom, her prom. The, the, the homecoming. Prom. Homecoming. Right. Yeah, it was homecoming, right? It's homecoming. Yeah. Yeah. It's literally called homecoming. Um, that diet, like she was just like going on and on for like no reason. Like there was no reason for her to be explaining everything. Like that, and she was explaining everything. Well, that's a girl in her six. That's a sixteen-year-old girl. Okay, it was just like now when they get to the school, and then the gun comes out. Like I, I like I get that. And then the other in the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies, when the villain finds out that Peter Parker is like, oh, they put two and two together. Like sometimes Peter Parker doesn't put two and two together to figure out the villain, but it ends up like. It was a tense Thanksgiving Day dinner with Willem Dafoe as Hobgoblin. But when Michael Keaton takes out the gun and says, look, kid, you saved my daughter's life. And for that, I'm grateful. But that's it. And, like, when there's the realization as to who is who, that scene in the car when they were parked in front of the school was really good. And to your point, it was because of performance. Michael Keaton was great. Dom Holland was like, "Oh crap, what do I do?" Right. <laughs> like, also that particular scene. If we're, you know, we're going to talk about it, that particular scene, the production aspect, it, the lighting. It was actually set for a moody, um, kind of, kind of thriller mystery. Almost aspect. noir. Yeah, yeah. It was like actually set up as a thriller scene. You know, so I, I think just the execution of that scene alone, you isolate that from the movie, is really good. It might be. Uh, the second best car ride scene ever, besides uh, I Could Have Been a Contender by Marlon Brando. <laughs> <laughs> I don't Honestly, know if I get that far. Liz is, her, is the character's name. Liz. Right. Um, driving Miss Daisy. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. I hated that movie. <laughs> but, you know, I want to go back to the suit um, for one quick second, too, since we were talking about it, is that the one thing I appreciated about this suit was its texture. I think, like in the previous Spider-Man movies, like this one had a almost like a like a microfiber 
kind of a cloth. It, it seemed like something real that I could, like, you could touch and go, oh, that's, like, sort of cool. Like, where the past Spider-Mans, it seemed like a latex scene. Yeah, it, this one seemed more meshy. Yes. And the other one seems more spandex. Yes. Mm-hmm. But, like, we do have a section on suits that we could talk about later. Yeah, yeah. so let's, um, let's sort of die, you know, um, I don't want to gloss over how Spider-Man came into the Marvel Cinematic Universe because I think it is quite a journey. Um, and, you know, we had made mention that Kevin Feige kind of wanted this to happen, and so uh, the quote goes, it really came down to me telling Amy to op- in her office that I think the best thing for this character is Sony has the rights, that's not changing. Uh, have Sony pay for the movie, distribute the movie, market the movie, just let us make the movie and incorporate him into our universe. And um, Amy Pascal gave the thumbs up. Um, I'm sure there was a lot more discussion besides sure. just that. Yeah. Uh, but certainly a, certainly a start. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, I am amazed that they were able to make this work. We actually have uh, a clip of, of the master of the MCU to talk about the homecoming, so to speak, that we can watch. But it's a big deal from a business standpoint, too. Like this I'm is, sure. you know, so. Kevin so Feige. Yeah, Kevin Feige. Talking Kevin, about, what you got for us? What do you have? feels great it feels like a dream it feels like so much of what we've done at marvel studios just started with very few people in a room going boy it'd be really cool if we could do this it'd really be cool if we could do that but uh probably could never happen this by far is the pinnacle of that and sitting down with amy pascal for the first time and going what if we brought them home what if we brought them into the marvel cinematic universe and every step of the way from finding john watts certainly tom holland who is a miracle delivered to us as the unbelievably great Peter Parker, Uh, Robert Downey joining the cast, John Favreau coming back. It really, it felt incredible. And for me personally, having been at Marvel for 17 years, it started my first day. David Kepscript came in for the first Sam Raimi Spider-Man. I met Sam Raimi for the first time, and I met uh, Amy, and I met Barziskin for the first time. And now 17 years later, bringing him into the cinematic universe that didn't exist when we did that first movie, is amazing. And it's a testament to the character of Spider-Man that there's so much left to be done with him. And I think that's another thing we wanted to prove. We really wanted to show people, you haven't seen what Spider-Man can be. Because he was never created to be a hero by himself in a city. He was created to be an unbelievably different type of hero, younger, have other responsibilities, in contrast to the Iron Man and the Thor and the Captain Americas out there. And now we get to do it. So there you go. And, and that's cool. And, and considering he's been involved since the Sam Raimi, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man, when there was no universe like this, mm-hmm. you know, they, they just would say, well, this this movie did great. We're going to make a sequel. You know, it wasn't like <laughs> thought of like the F word franchise, so to speak. Um, 17 years to get him in here. And like I said, it's a big deal. Well, I think Universe is the new <clears throat> franchise. Like Universe, everyone yeah. wants a franchise, but now Universe is what you aspire towards. Yeah, it, true. And not since like something like the Towering Inferno, where that had to be that was like a Fox movie and a Paramount movie, and that was like a whole rights thing. This too is that kind of a big deal because Marvel Cinematic Universe who wants to get the money and. Disney, since they bought Marvel, has been releasing these movies. And like I said at the top during my review, it opens the doors now and says Kevin Feige and even Disney to an extent, because usually they will clamp down 
on their property. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, we're not going to have somebody else release it. <laughs> like, that's, you know, Marvel's us. But the mere fact that they're open to it and the given Vikings able to put it all together, like I said, it opens up the doors to, to and we get less crappier movies. Once they're, and I mean that, like, if the Fantastic Four would ever be rolled into this universe, we're not going to get a crappy Fantastic Four movie. Time, thought, and the work is going to be put into it so that meshes seamlessly. As long as egos don't clash. I mean, to be honest, I would love to see the Sony side of this more. Of because um, it's it's all come it, a lot of the stuff is from Marvel's perspective and how they were able to put this together. Um, I would love to see kind of you know the Sony side of it. Well, don't forget uh, well, Amy Pascal, okay, who worked and then she ran Sony and then she was very embattled because of the Sony hack. But now she has she has real estate on the Sony lot. She's a producer. She was part of that. I think. Having her, in a sense, she's a linchpin, and having worked with Kevin before, I mean, that helps. And she's able to bring her her experience of working with Spider-Man for so long. Uh, I think from the Sony perspective, they needed something, too. Sony's been, I think it was an easy, I think it was an easy yes for them, because they've still been embattled. They've had power change, uh, studio head change, and... They haven't had that many, let's say, hits. Although this summer, they're doing great. I mean, they had Baby Driver, they had Spider-Man Homecoming. They're doing really good. So they need it. They need it. And for them, you know, and then I think the big piece is Disney. I don't know how the Disney, I don't know, like, how Disney said, okay, we'll let them release it. Because if Disney said that to Paramount, Paramount might not be in such dire straits. Because they had Iron Man. You know what I'm saying? So... It was a good symbiosis. He's in now. Sony has product. They're going to come up with a Spider-Man animated movie, you know. And he'll be, he's going to continue to do one-off movies. Being, I believe, he plays a, a some semblance of a part in Infinity War. I'm sure, yeah. It's it's great for Sony and for Disney too because that means all the Spider-Man fans. It just expands the universe, as you said. That's right. It's, it's good stuff. Um, absolutely. Um, so let's, uh, unless anyone has anything else to add, let's talk about sort of the, the writing process and how it sort of came about. Um, you know, when you, when you look at this movie, um, they always looked at it like, imagine if John Hughes got to direct this movie, what, what would that be like? And I, I feel for the most part, um, the, the evidence of that is there, um, throughout, um, but we'll never know how that would have looked with a, with a superhero, unfortunately. But, you know, this is the culmination of that. Um, you know, uh, interesting backgrounds, uh, you know, these guys' backgrounds, primarily in comedy. Um, when they worked with, uh, you know, they've done horrible bosses and things of that nature. Um, and really kind of writing this one together, um, coming together. Yeah, it's it's interesting because we we had um, well Marvel hired Jonathan Goldstein and John Francis from you know Horrible Bosses, but then because and they also worked with John Watts back then, and and so the you know the, they were at first they were the only writers that had been attached to the project, but however it turned out that there were other people. Um, 
John Watts and his frequent collaborators, uh, Christopher Ford, also have credits. So, uh, again, like you had the two people attached at the beginning, and then, then John Watts brought in his own guys. And so the first two original people still have credits. But you know how rewriting always goes over and over again. The, the original stuff usually don't really turn out to the final result. Right. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of writers attached. What I find interesting is, is that Jonathan Goldstein, the pair, they literally had, and, it, and it's no joke, they had about three days to put a pitch together to talk to Marvel about why they should write the movie. Three days to put everything together. And that's like, oh, oh okay. And... Jonathan goes off and says, and this is out of uh, The Hollywood Reporter, uh, he thinks it was a combination of the humor with the relatability and the high school story. Uh, you know, there are this high school kid who happened to have superpowers. So I think that their take on this, um, you know, we've, you've all said, we've all said, um, is what captured Kevin Feige's, like, imagination and, and, and attention in saying, yeah, up till this point, like, I know that Tobey Maguire in the first Spider-Man movie is actually graduating high school, going into college. Um, the, the, the people uh, with Andrew Garfield felt that maybe they were a little bit too old, although I felt he was good. This one's the first time we do see a little more Peter Parker and his high school life, and they do it on a fresh approach because the whole MJ reveal that comes at the end, you go, oh, that's cool, and MJ plays a big part mm-hmm. in Peter Parker's social life, right? So, yeah, I think they did a really good job on connecting that group. And we can talk about the boy in the chair, or the man in the chair <laughs> character, but that definitely is what, at least Jonathan Goldstein believes, is what got them the gig in three days <laughs> to put it together to pitch. Good for them. Uh, yeah. Well, also in terms of in terms of Watts, he he really appreciated the fact that, as you made mention, that they didn't have to go back to the origin story. Um, but even more so, the fact that, it, in terms of him wanting to be a superhero, um, it wasn't a new notion. It wasn't like uh, uh, just wishful thinking. It was like, oh well, there's already superheroes within this universe. I want to be like them. It's it's the same way you know someone would aspire to be a firefighter. It's like now you get to really do aspire to be a superhero because there's tons of them out there. So maybe I get to be one too. Um, and so and in his case, he does. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what that uh, uh, all those things kind of were uh, meshed together yeah. and make for this movie. Um, let's talk about the various uh, storylines. Uh, where would you guys like to jump in, Marissa? You make note that it's a young adult film. Well, I uh, feel John Hughes-esque. John so Hughes-esque. We've talked about John Hughes in length on our other dissections, so longtime fans know how much we all love John Hughes. Um, I definitely got that vibe and that tone from this film, more so because like you, you had that teenager. It feels like kind of a coming of age a little bit, with the help of friends or family, you know, within that society, you know, and he's he's usually placed in a situation where he has to overcome, and like that's such a John Hughes type of trope as well. I mean, you see it in other films, but John Hughes is known for that. Um, and it was a lot of feel-good. It was a, I said it at the beginning, it, was a, it felt like a light movie. T- 
teenagers would love this film. Mm-hmm. Um, young adults. This is definitely geared towards the young adult generation. And I think Tom Holland does a great job of actually fitting the bill of looking like a teenager. Compared to him and Andrew Garfield, he, he's great. He was a bit older. Even Tobey Maguire, I didn't really believe him as a teenager in high school. But I think Tom Holland definitely has the physicality and believability of a young person going through high school. And Even though all- he's 21. Well, he was 19 when he was first casted, so technically he was a teenager. But I'm saying, like, physicality and believability that he is a person stuck in high school going through all X, Y, and Z and going through the motions and the teen angst, I felt it in this film. And it doesn't really take away from, like, the seriousness. And some there were some dark moments in this film. But it felt like a teenager type of problem compared to an adult world type of problem that we see in other films. Yeah, but see, I did, for me, his teen angst was about, it wasn't so much suffering through high school, it was about suffering not being an Avenger. And that, to me, like, I like that they went younger, but it, had it been John Hughes, he definitely would have explored. It would have been a different movie. Um, and... And again, I don't mind that they changed the cast and became more diverse, in fact. I, I respected that and appreciate it. They were a breath of fresh air because this is the third reboot of this franchise within 15 years, and that's sort of kind of a short period of time, right? Very. Yeah. So, Jesus, what are you going to do? And that, that was my biggest problem. It's like, oh, no, kid gets bit by a spider again, and they were smart. They were, I felt that they were very smart in the way that they brought him into this movie. But again, had he not had to rely on Tony Stark and wanting to be an Avenger and just having to deal with his power. I mean, dealing with those kind of superpowers should be enough for teen angst. Shouldn't be whether or not I'm going to get the suit and I get to do this. And like He has these powers. He even says in one scene, he goes... But how many kids do you know can stop a bus with their bare hands? And that's what he should be dealing with. How do I deal with these powers and yet have, you know, and I know they touched and have a high school life, but he was way more interested in being an Avenger than he was in doing um, in doing his homework, so to speak. And my other problem, too, is, you know, he ditched on his friends a lot. You know, particularly the um, the science or the the, the, the contest, mm-hmm. right? The academic the team. academic team, yeah. and I don't think he. Granted, as Spider Man, he saved the day and he saved their lives. I get that, but I would figure, with the exception of Flash, who seemed to be really pissed, everybody else was very sort of kind of forgiving of him. And I'm like, no, he's like, he was the anchor. You could tell he was the smartest kid there, right? There wasn't enough. Uh, of, like the girl still says, eh, I'll go out with you. Even though you screwed me over, <laughs> we still won, but I'm saying, I'll go out with you. There wasn't enough, and like I said, I felt with the adults, John Hughes is always great with adults, especially parents, right? Mm-hmm. And this is, a, this is a time to let Marissa Tomei shine, because that's what she can do great, you know? She can be very motherly. I wanted to see more of that, so. Uh, you know, I, th- I think... When I when I look at it, um, yeah, I, I don't necessarily disagree with a lot of what you're saying. However, there are moments with him. Uh, the, the the big distinction is, um, you know, like when when Tobey Maguire has to deal with his, his various problems, like he's he's trying to figure out on his own again. Whereas, I I don't necessarily mind the fact that he wants to be an Avenger, 
And because his his outlook, I, I like the idea that he's just having fun. In fact, he says that to um, uh, to John Favreau. Um, happy. Yes, happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, why are you doing that? Because it's fun. And so, so that idea, um, in terms of what really grounds him as a teenager, like I meant, you know, that that that's kind of I, I get like um, being bullied and things like that in the, in the Tobey Maguire stories in the way that he was. Um, but at the end of the day, there's just that um, excitement for having these powers rather than struggling to have to figure out how to use them. I, I like that distinction because I didn't necessarily want to go see another movie about a kid struggling with his superpowers. Yeah. Understood. Can and, I say and, Sure. Like, yeah, I completely agree with you. And I think it's very important to make that distinction between the Tobey Maguire films and this film because I felt like the Tobey Maguire films, he he just didn't have that, like, fun side to him of being spider-man like from the first film it was like with great power comes great responsibility like sure you see him having fun when he's like first getting the powers and he's learning how to do it and everything but after that it just it kind of fell into like this very serious tone with it while this one i like how you said why are you doing that because it's fun and i think that's what spider-man's all about he has these quips when he's fighting the burglars in the in the in the uh when they're stealing the, the atms and everything like he has fun like he i think this is a perfect like embodiment of what spider-man is yeah but my my only counter to that is the quips have been around since toby Maguire. Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man did that too. Tobey Maguire had fun swinging, web-slinging around New York City. He was like going, woohoo, and all that stuff. He had that. When he learned that he could jump across a building, he was really happy about that. And it, it became, and to your point, it became sort of more serious at the end when he started to realize that having these powers could affect the people that he loved around him. The end of Spider-Man isn't the happiest of endings. He's at the funeral for... Willem Dafoe's character, I believe it is, um, and and he realizes that oh, I'm in love with MJ, but I can't be with MJ because if it's ever found out that she's my girlfriend, they'll take She'll it out her. on her, and they they built that. Now I know you don't want to rehash that, but we don't know what's going to happen with the MJ in this series. But he, they had fun, and Andrew Garfield was great at the sarcasm. That's what people said, that he was really good at embodying the sarcasm. So it's been throughout the series. Tom Holland just happened to be good at it, right. too. And I feel like this one, the Homecoming, <clears throat> is more tonally lighter, only because the the Sean, uh, the Tobey Maguire version is that, like, yeah, it gets dark because he actually deals with the death. He deals with Uncle Ben's death, and then that's how his his powers. He became more serious of a type of Spider-Man, and the reasons behind of saving people and doing X, Y, and Z. Like he had an actual motivation and kind of a revenge story, yeah. and and but, it mm-hmm. it dealt with his friends and his family. It was personal to him, and I felt this one in Homecoming. Uh, he, I was going to say Tom Holland. <laughs> Peter doesn't really deal with the death. He's just dealing with his day-to-day life as a teenager who's right. also in, in high school. He has something to aspire to, the, the Avengers, because that's all he, he really knows. Those are other heroes that he can relate to and mm-hmm. actually try to attainably get, you know, get part of this group. He doesn't have a death, revenge, dark type of storyline and no. his motivations. I would uh, I would be curious to see how they're gonna go about this um, because if you look at you know um, with the Avengers they have now um, they're dealing with the consequences of their actions right that's what Civil War's all about hinges about, about. Right. 
Um, from Tom Holland's perspective, he, you're right, Marissa, he's never dealt with that. And if you look at um, Civil War in terms of that fight, I mean, the, what he walks away with is not the seriousness of, of that fight. It's like, oh, I got to take Captain America's shield and oh, how fun that was. Because at the end of the day, like, there's, you know, um, he didn't really see the, the casualties of that. Right. And what that fully means. Um, and so I think in time he's going to... I'm very curious to see how dark they're going to get because Marvel and these movies have never really gone to like the Dark Knight level of seriousness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Sam Raimi, I mean, it's, it's not fully to that level, but it's it's pretty dark. Yeah, like I said, just rewatching them again, uh, it's interesting. And what about Spider-Man 2, what's very fascinating is, is that... He really wants to be with MJ. He wants to have that life. He wants to have the collegiate life. Even though he's not in high school. And his powers, it's not like the suit that gave him the powers. Because he wasn't thinking about being Spider-Man, the powers sort of fade away. And, and it gets to a point where he doesn't have them anymore. And it's like the Superman 2 conundrum of, if I be human... So I can have human love and a human life, but I give this away, then I can't save the people that I love, and I'm going to need to because these are extraordinary villains that I'm going up against. And that's where Superman 2 really works, like, wonderfully from a story standpoint. And this one, again, I don't know where they're going to go. It's going to be very interesting on his next standalone and what ringers they may put him through in Infinity War. I would have liked... set a good stage, though. And that's the thing; it's not a standalone. I, yeah. Well, it was never gonna yeah. be. Yeah. Uh, but I would have liked to, you know, as great as we've touted that car ride scene, I would have liked to see, uh, in thinking about it, um, Vultures really explain kind of the effects of Tony Stark, because it, you know it, when you talk about consequences, the whole reason why he's in this is it like Tony just keeps screwing him over. Mm. They had the gig. And then um, the what are they calling themselves the the USDD or something like that? Oh right. Uh, yeah. Anyway, Tony's the cleaning com- crew. Anyway, Honestly. Tony's company comes in, and and they're going to be responsible for the cleanup of New York. Which right. um, and so that's why uh, you know here's a I, I like the the, the blue collar type of villain. You know, rather than get screwed over by the system again and again, and especially like you know Tony represents that billionaire lifestyle. And not only is he like a billionaire, but he's a billionaire superhero. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're kind of like, well, F you, guy. I'm, I'm tired of this, and I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And that was the seriousness, and it was explored, but I would love to see it hit a little bit more um, home, and it was, so <laughs> And it was played really well by Michael Keaton. You know, I mean, this guy's renaissance back in the movies, for me, has been great. You know, I mean... Winning an Academy Award, uh, he, he was great in The Founder. You know, he plays a good villain here because you believe him as and the blue collar. In Spotlight, he was fantastic. I, I want somebody, Birdman. somebody Birdman. Somebody needs to put him, put him in a good comedy. I mean, this is where this guy got his chops. He was in comedy. He's a funny guy, um, but it was good to see that aspect of a villain. And at least it was a villain that didn't become a villain in the Marvel Universe from being zapped by lightning or being bit by a snake or, you know, doing a a science experiment gone wrong. In a sense, he's like the anti-Batman. 
he puts all this stuff together so he can fly, but it's it's alien tech, but he's still a guy. Like, you know, he doesn't have superpowers outside of his tech. Yeah, I like I liked his motivation because <clears throat> it came from that civilian aspect mm-hmm. um, that's actually relatable. Like you, you can understand where he's coming from. Absolutely. And even John Watts said for uh, you know, the um character of Adrian Toomes. He says, uh, you usually get to see um, in, in Marvel movies, you get to see the story of a playboy billionaire inventor. You get to see the story of a Norse god. You get to see the story of an American icon. Every time you see one of those films, I'd wonder, what is it like for a regular person? What does just a regular human being who lives in New York City know about this event or think about this event where it's the public opinion? And that was the character of a vulture um, because he was the guy who got screwed over by the Marvel people. <laughs> so yeah, he has the right to you know be rightfully pissed. You you at least understand where it's yeah. coming from, and and he seems to be look at first and foremost he wants to put a roof over his family's head. You can tell that he cares for his daughter, but he he's in a position by selling this alien tech, albeit it's wrong, but he. Gives his family the best of what he's able to, like, you know, he's, he's, and he doesn't, he's not braggadocio about being rich, you know, they, they, they live a good life. It's a nice give, house, though. It's a nice house, but he wasn't, you know it's what not I mean? the best house. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like Tony Stark's house. <laughs> so, and that's what I really uh, enjoyed about that character as well. I mean, can we all agree that this is probably, too, the first Marvel movie that's sort of reversed engineered? Um, meaning that our past Marvel movies, we met the superhero first, whether it be Iron Man, mm-hmm. Captain America, Thor. We already knew Hulk, right? And then they were put into the bigger Avengers movie, right? In this movie, Spider-Man was, you know, more or less, more or less drafted by Tony Stark to be in this fight in Civil War. So we saw him, as, albeit as a smaller cameo part, and then he gets his own movie. You know, it's it's sort of like a weird, yeah, it's reverse engineering. It's like where he was in a bigger movie, and now we're going to give him a smaller movie. And that, like, Black Panther, the upcoming, is yeah, sort of right. the same, where he now is it's going to get his, his, his own movie as well. Well, if you watched so, wrestling at any point in your life, it's... That's how they do it. Well, I I thought you were going to say reverse engineering is that this particular film, the first five minutes is all about Vulture. Yeah. And and then it goes to the opening credits, and then you see... Right. Peter Parker and I was like okay now they've already well like established right. the villain we know who's going to be the, the bad guy and yeah. I thought that was a, a nice different uh, telling of how uh, of narrative that you yeah. don't usually don't see in comic book films I, like I, this I have to say I completely agree with what you just said and like uh, I love that they made uh, Vulture and uh, uh, Keaton's characters so multi-dimensional as and then like as an audience we could sympathize for him and his motives although we know it's the wrong way to go about it right and also i feel like they kind of took like a page from um if you guys seen marvel uh on netflix the daredevil series how they gave a lot of screen time to developing the kingpin's uh character and uh, and built him up and I, i feel like they did it right here as well where they built up this uh villain you know yeah, I, I I would agree with you. Um, I want to put a pause on him for one moment, only because I want to move to Tony Stark because you know 
obviously the two are intertwined. <laughs> but, um, you know, in terms of Tony, I want to talk about the decision where he brought him in, but then he realized, okay, maybe he's a little bit too young and I shouldn't have made that mistake. And now, you know, the whole story is really the effects of um, Tony Stark sidelining Spider-Man. And Spider-Man being like, whoa, 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 I was just in an Avengers fight, now why, why not, you know, bring me in? Um, so I want to get your guys' perspective on that. Well, you know, I mean, this is where the movie relied too much on Tony and Happy. And Happy, I have my opinion about Happy is he was a dick. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, in all honesty, yeah, he was a dick because Peter Parker being the re- trying to be the responsible superhero was like, hey, Happy. I found alien tech. What am I supposed to do with this? Like, this is alien tech. And Happy just kept on ignoring him. Like, literally hanging up on him, not listening to him when he's going through. And I'm like going, all he needed was one adult, like, to listen to him. But then it would have become maybe an Avengers movie. Well, also, you know yeah, I, but, I think the problem is, too, not to introduce, but no, no. Happy's been, I mean, John, love John Favreau. Absolutely. Big part of Iron Man, of course. Um, you know, directing all of them, but the, mm-hmm. the just the character itself of Happy, he's usually not a dick, and that's the problem he because isn't. like the way they establish him, he's a good side character too, and he's helped Tony Stark through all of his films and X, Y, and Z. He's really a, an okay guy. You know, it's like we never actually seen him be an a hole, right? And he was such an a hole to Peter in this. I was like, Happy, I don't really like you, and and I shouldn't. Okay, so I wasn't the only one. How about yeah, you? No. Did you? No, I I, I, I understand agree. I mean, he, this, you know, if, if he didn't have time, assign it to somebody else, especially because right. it's not like there's a difference between um, Spider-Man wanting to be an Avenger and him just sending inquiries over to Tony Stark and being like, hey, 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 you brought him in, right? So yeah. that's that's on you. Yeah, um, and so there was that slight disconnect there, um, and it's a big I deal. I mean, it was you know, it was alien tech. This isn't your typical bank robbery kind of thieves go that that, that your friendly neighborhood Spider Man's going to take care of. And I just felt that was sort of kind of nagging at me, going, "Why are like the adults like that we're supposed to like being jerks when there's no reason to be jerks?" Like. The second he said alien tech, their radar should have flung up and said, Ooh, wait, oh, we got to pay attention to this. But then it becomes a different movie. Well, that's, here's the, the problem. It's I've, a hole that they wrote themselves into. I don't know how you unwrite that. It's To me, it's fairly simple. I mean, uh, the, 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 but the problem is it's always tough to understand because it is a universe, what the hell's going on in the rest of the universe at any given point. So who knows? Like, Happy could have literally been dealing with I don't know, the the destruction of 5,000 planets and Earth was about to be shattered and <laughs> the alien tech was not, you know. Now, obviously, that wasn't necessarily evident, but I'm just saying that's that's why you can't you don't know where people's priorities lie in that. Understood. In this universe at any given moment. But here was my other little cohesiveness thing. If you watched Civil War, they're already in that location in upstate New York. I mean, that location is featured in that movie and it seems fully furnished to me it seemed pretty done <laughs> so now when I'm watching the movie I'm going wait a minute what are they moving like Civil War it looked like they had and, and since this takes place after Civil War I was like wait why do they have to move stuff 
anyways because Tony Stark's Avengers are already living there in a beautifully furnished place, compound. So, I you was know, like, like when you go to a hotel and you realize you forget like your wallet, but it's was... too late. So you go to an <laughs> like that. <laughs> Okay, you got me. That's the best I got. Interesting. That's a good one. Well, can we talk a little bit about Tony Stark? I mean, like Robert Downey Jr. I love him. He's a great actor. Yeah. Um, And like, he's he's a really good Tony Stark. I did have a problem with him in this film um, Mm. because. Again, it's not standalone, and I felt like Tony Stark was always the one coming and save the day, not Peter Parker. Yeah, it was really frustrating. Like Tony, we should not be rooting for you. This is not your freaking film. It's called Spider Man, not Iron Man. And can I ask? Can I ask Sorry. you a question regarding that? It, it, that's because you bring up something that happened to me when I saw Spider Man. To me, it seemed more people were applauding Tony Stark Iron Man whenever he showed up. More so than they were applauding Spider-Man, and this was supposed to be a Spider-Man movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And people were like totally like going, "Yeah, Iron Man," and I'm like, but "This is Spider-Man." Yeah, and it was also frustrating because, especially like the boat ferry scene when Spider-Man does this awesome task of trying to put it back together, and you know it fails. But again, Tony Stark is literally the one who comes and swoops up and saves the day, and all the passengers are clapping for him. Like, Spider-Man was the one just trying to save your life. And it was very frustrating because I feel like every big moment, every big scene that could have been, like, Peter Parker could have had the win, Tony Stark was literally right there talking or reminding him about something about the suit or it just always felt like it went back to Tony Stark at the end of it even at the end of the film yeah um sorry I don't mean to sound this ranty but I did have a problem with this at the end of the film right when like the whole showdown and stuff it literally cuts to the next scene of Tony Stark's like hey I have a press conference for you I have this new fancy suit for you x y and z it was Tony Stark's idea It, it just Every beat ended up with Tony Stark. I'm like, this yeah. is a Spider-Man movie. I think, so for me, um, I I wasn't necessarily surprised by that, but I'm just surprised the way they went about it, right? The, all the marketing, there was no marketing uh, that didn't have Iron Man as part of it. That's true. So it's That's true. Not, it, it wasn't, wasn't a shock to me at all. Right. Uh, I was shocked how little he really was in the movie. Really? Which was I actually was okay with. However, I didn't like the ways he was in the movie. I, again, I think... Uh, it, you know, they cited him that they were going for a father figure. I don't... Mm. He didn't really... He wasn't really a father figure. He no. was just like, a, don't do that. Don't do that. Yeah. He was an absentee right. father. Yeah. I agree. Uh-huh. I completely you know? agree. Yeah. And my thing, too, is like, in a scene before, before the ferry scene, he was congratulating him for, for the Washington Monument scene, which I want to talk about a little bit, too. But he congratulated him for doing a good job. Hey, all right, big things are coming. And then the next scene, he's like, oh, taking your suit away. What? It's like, he does good or he doesn't... Like, you just congratulated him. And then the the next scene, you're... Like, the punishment is so hard that you're taking the suit away. And I get it. From an arc, I I, I get... It's the man that makes the suit, not the suit that makes the man. but that's what I'm saying. It always ended with Tony Tony Stark. Stark. There was a whole monument... Saving, yeah. saving scene, and then Tony Stark's reprimands or like congratulates him. Sure, again, it went to Tony Stark. Yeah, the fo- very well. It ended with Tony Stark, like, mm-hmm. and then the the whole showdown. It ended with Tony Stark. Yeah, I, I, I mean, that's what I said in my review. I, I didn't feel it was the standalone movie that the character deserved at this point, especially if you're going to completely reboot. But at its core, 
Like, you still have to have what makes Spider-Man Spider-Man. And he's got to come into his powers regardless of the suit. So, to me, like, what if Tony Stark, he drops him off, okay, kid, see you later, and then at the very end, instead of the Avengers stuff, it was, okay, kid, he goes, you know what, you did really good here. He goes, wait, don't go anywhere. Suit, training wheel protocols off. Like, if they didn't even know there were training wheel protocols, and the arc light reactor lights up, and he's like, what? Because he didn't use any tech in the Civil War fight, right? He was just being Spidey in that, in that cool suit. And then at the end, that gives us our next jumping off point. And then we can see him, like, as the Spider-Man, but he grows into... The, the role you know I do wish it was more standalone too I, I agree with and, 100% well also and it was also really heavily tied to the Avengers yeah. you have to see the other Avenger films before this you have to see Captain Marvel freaking Captain Marvel Captain was America. even there for Captain, or, America. Captain America not Marvel sorry um, sorry don't read me for that um <laughs> But we, we we had Captain America coming, even for his cameos, as as funny as they were. They sure. were funny, especially again, the very, very, It was very, still very tied to the Avengers, not standalone whatsoever. And well, he, I think the, that really bothered me. The problem there is, too, you uh, get it, they're, they're tying that in, but you're kind of left, uh, it opened up too many questions of like, wait, Spider-Man, or not Spider-Man, Captain America, what's the perception currently? Because he's not a good guy. And yet he's... Well, didn't uh, Hannibal Burris, who I thought was completely wasted, I mean, as the gym teacher, it was like, again, another role where he's like sort of funny, but he's not in it enough because I think he's a really funny guy. But he had a line, I could have swore, where he said something, I think this guy's an outlaw now, but you got to watch this anyways. Yeah, it's funny, thing. but, 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 but that was all that it. was said. Yeah, it, there's there's not enough. Like again, we're not in a Captain America movie, right? Uh, it's and so to bring that in, like I, I get it, but it just then raises a little bit more questions than needed to be raised Agreed. at that certain point. Agreed. Um, so. Agreed. Um, let's talk about the rest of the kids. Um, there's Liz, there's Ned, um, there's Flash, and uh, MJ, who is not Mary Jane. No. No. Just she, MJ. <laughs> she is. Uh, well, she's not. I think her Michelle. name's Michelle. Michelle. Mm-hmm. Mich- yeah. So, um, you know, uh, I guess we talk about her. Yeah. Um, Zendaya, who plays her, called her awkward and intellectual. She just feels like she doesn't need to talk to people. Mm hmm. okay. Um, she was a combination of um, for Allison from Breakfast Club and Lindsay from Freaks and Geeks. Mm-hmm. Oh, I totally see that. Now. Yeah. <laughs> I totally see that. Um, I, I like Sunday. I think she, she is a fun, charming person who's also has a big career ahead of her. I mean, she already has a big career. But I, I think it's good because I remember watching this film. And literally, probably the last ten minutes, I was like, "We haven't seen MJ yet." I was like, "Oh, it's probably her." And sure enough, like five seconds later, they revealed there was, "Oh, my name's MJ." I'm like, ah, there it is. We should have seen it. We I thought it was it. a very well. I, I actually thought that that was a very nice reveal. I thought it was. Uh, it was like, oh, oh, okay, well played. Like you, mm-hmm. you, you. I didn't see that coming. And I was, you know, because I didn't know when they were going to bring in MJ. I, honestly, I wasn't thinking of any of that stuff. I'm just trying to watch, like, the movie. But when it happens, I was like, oh, she's MJ. Oh, good choice. And I like how they went different. And you're right. 
I think we're so also conditioned from the previous Spider-Man films and the comics that MJ's a redhead. And I think that sure. also threw us off with just the, the characteristics uh, of her that we're not expecting. We always talk about MJ's Mary Jane, not yeah. Michelle. Right. So, you know, they, they, they threw the scent off really, you know, yeah. they, uh, really well. I think she did a good job. Uh, I, I liked the sarcasm that she had. I liked that she wanted to go to Washington, not just to be part of this competition, but to protest. <laughs> as well. I thought that that was funny. Um, so, and, and is it Zendaya or Zendaya? Zendaya. Zendaya. Yeah, um, yeah I thought, you know, she, I think she's going, I think she was fine in the cast and she's going to make just a fine MJ. It'll be, and again, it'll be interesting because since they've changed so much, is MJ going to be a romantic person for, for this Peter Parker it, with him. What does that mean for Liz? Liz took such a shot on him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she, you know, like... Well, she's gone. She, she's, she's... Where the hell is she? She's in Portland. 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 Yeah, it's like she moved. She moved. <laughs> she's out of his life. Uh, poor girl. Uh, she went through a lot and didn't even know it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> True. And and Laura Harrier, who played Liz, uh, I thought was was really good too as as the potential love interest. I was buying their romance to a point, other than the fact that Peter Parker kept screwing her over. Obviously, he was Spider Man, mm-hmm. and she kept on going back to him. It's like. That's a big competition that you get to go to Washington, be part of this, and your anchor, you know, bugs out on you. Granted, he did save them, but they don't know that. And she, they weren't really that pissed. It was like, oh, do you want to go to homecoming with me? Okay. And I'm like, that deserved at least a, a kitty slap to the face. Right. I didn't really <laughs> like this relationship. No? Because I don't think it was just well established. I think it, it just showed that... Yeah, he had a crush on her, but it kept screwing her over. Like, how much do you really like her? <laughs> and so I, I didn't really see that, and not because of physicality, but the fact that, like, she was towering over him. Granted, she's tall and gorgeous. It's like, <laughs> girl has legs for days. I just didn't really see them together, didn't believe them as, like, I didn't believe their chemistry. I like I don't them. think it was, like, well-established enough for no. me to want to root for this relationship. Yeah, and then obviously she moves to Portland. What, yeah. are, what are your okay. thoughts on, on uh, Laura Harrier as Liz and their relationship? Um, I thought, I mean, I thought she did a good job. I just, uh, I, I, you know, I, to Marissa's point, I didn't understand their chemistry. You know, I understand, you know, from his perspective, she's a gorgeous girl. And, you know, like at that point, like, again, a different um, perspective of it. Toby Maguire, he had a huge infatuation with MJ, whereas this, like, he's just a guy, she's a cute girl. So I don't, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily fault him there. Um, and you know, she's smart and stuff like that. So she's, it's not just looks alone. But yeah, in terms of him, he's at no point from the perspective of high school has he shown any sort of real qualities. You know, mm-hmm. like <clears throat> what I, I appreciated, like Flash, as much of a bully as he was. He was a smart bully. It's not like he was um, this jock um, that just picked on people just left and right because uh, no, he's you know he's do he's a nerd himself. Yeah, and he uses words 
more so than than, than fisticuffs, yeah. so to speak. He's he's a different representation of Flash than what we're used to in both the comic books. I from what I understood from what I remember <laughs> reading, and from the earlier Spider-Man movies. I mean, Flash was the star of the football team, yeah. you know, and he could beat up Peter Parker. Before you know, before Peter Parker got her story, this Tony Revolori, I thought he was. I thought he was sort of. He was, you know, he was a he was a jerk, but he was sort of funny in, in his sarcasm. But he was like that. He was a jerk. He was a good villain. What were you gonna say, Anthony? Uh, I just love how you said it. Like he, he uses his words, and I was like, I'm really glad. Or I, I kind of like the the line that he drops. Like, or not even a line. It's just like the quip of Penis Parker. I right. thought it was pretty great. I was like, <laughs> it had me laughing. Yeah, it's a different kind of bullying for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, and then and then when it came to Ned, uh, I, I think it was just, it's something certainly different where, uh, you know, the first person in the Sam Raimi um, storyline is MJ that really knows the secret, right? In yeah. terms of in terms of his friends, um, and so in, with Ned, uh, it obviously changes the dynamic quite heavily. So um, I, I I enjoyed that. Yeah, the 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 origin story of Man in Chairs is a good one. Yeah, see, he was an interesting character for me. Like Jacob Batalone played him really funny. I thought he was a funny character, but there were times where I was like, dude, what the hell are you doing? Like your best friend just you found this out. He says you can't you can't tell anybody, and the next day he's like he's almost telling everybody <laughs> um and the whole man in the chair thing for me is i watched uh watched uh, the television television series the flash mm-hmm. okay and there's a kid in that cisco who, cisco yeah yeah you know exactly what i'm talking I love about the flash yeah and this kid is basically cisco like in a sense he's a wisecracker he always has like the quip and Cisco in the Flash. Uh, I haven't seen it like like the last season, but if I'm correct, he was more or less the man in the chair, mm-hmm. you know, for the Flash. And for so to me, this character didn't really seem that fresh to me. Albeit, the funniest thing that happened is when Peter Parker or Spider Man comes into the room and he drops in the ceiling and he was putting the, the Death Star together. <laughs> <laughs> The Death Star. That's fine. That was funny. Um, I, I, you know, I actually liked Ned because he seemed like that that realistic friend that Peter Parker would have in high school, um, and he had his moments where, again, yeah, he almost spoiled the secret, but at the end of the day, he was still that loyal friend that helps him through, you know, the big battles. And it's it's not the first time we've seen that sidekick who's always the one who's on the computer figuring everything out behind the scenes, right. like. That's a recurring trope, and I it, like it helps with this character actually giving him a name a sense, you know, like the man in the chair. Like that's his job. You have you, you have the computer geek. Right. There's always the computer geek in every television show or movie or something who's doing all the the research. Be you know, sure. and and that was him. I liked it. Well, I, I liked I, it. I'm gonna be again. It's it's it, curiosity factor what they're going to do with him because if you talk about reality having to hit um, Peter Parker it's going to have to hit Ned too because when you speak of Ned really not understanding it or just kind of uh, you know stay, stating like hey here's Spider-Man here's Spider-Man type of thing um, you know there's going to be consequences to his actions as well especially if he's going to continue to help Peter Parker sure 
Um, and so I'm sure that's going to be a big dose of reality. Yeah, I will say this, and, and I get it, because he's, uh, what is he, a sophomore in high school in this movie? Yeah. Or a junior, so, he's a sophomore. sophomore. Okay, so maybe he's not quite old enough outside of maybe having a paper route, but I don't think there are paper routes anymore. Um, when he gets involved uh, with J. Jonah Jameson, like when he becomes the photographer, um, you know, because that's always a, that to me, Spider-Man having the job, but maybe that's the next standalone movie when he goes out and gets work as, as uh, I don't know, working for the, what is it, the Daily Bugle, if I'm correct. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but again, we don't need it here. He's a sophomore in high school. He's still, He's still learning. His, yeah, we got, well, that's the other cool thing, too, is we do have plenty of years. And the way Tom Holland looks to be aging, like he could do eight of these movies and yeah, we'll see him grow into the role a little more, but he's not gonna be super old. Mm-hmm. You know, he'll be able to play Spider-Man for for a little while, which is a good thing because that means no reboot for a long time. <laughs> One would well, hope. they they did. Um, uh, where is it? Um, Donald Glover plays Aaron Aaron Davis, um, who was the then supposed to be the uncle. The uncle, but the the reincarnation. You want to speak to that, Anthony? I think he's uh, he's supposed to be the uncle of Miles, Miles. Morales, right? Yeah. Who's the current Spider-Man? I think. Yeah. So Miles Morales takes on the mantle of, of from Peter Peter Parker. Yeah. I don't really read the comics, but um, um, that's the story. Don't be go changing who's Spider-Man now into the third movie. <laughs> no, I'm just, we got to stick with Peter Parker for a little while. I know, I know. But they, what I'm <laughs> no, saying is yeah. they did I'm, introduce I'm, it. The, the right. Um, as a, a future thing. He was actually sort of funny, too. And he's like, you're really not too good at this, are you? <laughs> like with the whole intimidation. Uh, here, here we go. Um, Donald Glover, you know, playing playing Aaron Davis is a low-level criminal and the uncle of Miles Morales, aka the second Ultimate Spider-Man. And uh, he, you know, he dropped the lines like, "I this, I don't want, you know, these bad guys in the neighborhood. My nephew lives here." He was talking about the Miles. second, right. yeah, Miles, the second Ultimate Spider-Man, which maybe we'll see down the road. Sure. Who knows? Yeah. Hopefully, not too soon. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, let's talk about the big action set piece at the end, the airplane. Um, just from uh, action set piece. Good action set piece, standard, below par. It was, it, you know, Anthony said something that, I, that, that caught my ear. I thought it was fascinating and interesting. You mentioned a lightness and tone in this movie, which I'm like, okay, yeah, mm-hmm. totally get that. Anthony said bright, bright mm-hmm. colors. That's what that airplane scene to me was. Uh, it stood out, and again in 3D, it looked pretty good. But that whole, the whole plane, how the, the the flashing images on the fuselage, because it was supposed to be cloaked and mm-hmm. such. If I remember, like again, invisible like, yeah, um, yeah. I thought it was, it was pretty good. It looked good in 3D. I'll say that. Um, my only issue is, how would Happy not know that that plane? Was going down. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, how do you not have a redundancy to? I mean, you're part of Iron Iron Man, Tony Stark's like crew. Like, how did you lose a plane and not? And I understand the whole thing with the transponder that they did all that stuff. Okay, but there's usually some sort of a backup that you know. I know there were no pilots 
that I was having again playing the happy's weaknesses. Happy was not the happy we know <laughs> in this movie, but the scene looked. The scene itself looked fine. The crash, the end of it where he picks him up, he doesn't kill him because that's Spider-Man. I thought thought it played fine. Yeah, There's some debate about why Peter Parker did what he did, and I want to get you guys' perspective. Okay. Okay, when you say did what he did. Um, Can I just add something to that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I just add something to that, uh, uh, the, the scene of the plane? I feel like that was actually the first time where I felt that, um... Peter Parker and just uh, being Spider-Man, uh, he was in actual danger because he had like if he fell, that was it. Like you know, like there was no buildings around. It was actually like the first time I felt a sense of danger. I was like, oh man, he can really, really get hurt here. And I just I kind of appreciated that element to it where it's he's on a plane like thousands of feet in the air, and uh, I like when you can actually feel if the uh, the character is in, in danger because you know he's, he's a hero and he's gonna survive, but like getting that sense of danger for him. You're like, oh, man, how's he going to get out of this one, you know? Yeah, yeah. no, I, I thought the exact same thing, Anthony, because when he was on the monument, he there was a line, he was like, this is the highest I've ever been. Right. <laughs> and then yeah. when he was on the plane, I I remember thinking, I was like, well, now he, he broke his own record. Right, yeah. <laughs> so, um, But, like, I liked the plane sequence because I thought the exact same thing because that was, like, almost immediately after he lost his suit and that was right. like the first big thing he did without the suit. I was like, oh man, if you fall you're dead. You're yeah. dead. Um, like, I, I thought that same thing Yeah, because he didn't have like the flying web squirrel thing. Like, <laughs> you, know, you know, he has like the the, uh, the web like, yeah, by, the his, web by his pits. Funny. Yeah, he, like he, he, can, the, he can glide, the web glider kind of thing. Yeah, he didn't have that, so no. he was definitely going to just plummet. Like, because <laughs> he's still human. Like, I mean, he's uh, super like, arachnid, like he Man, is but. human. I will say one thing about this movie, and the other movies touched on, but they really do. Sh- this movie, I think, a little bit more than the previous ones, really showcase his strength. I mean, Sp- Spider-Man's a pretty strong dude. I mean, even as a kid, he's got some pretty impressive powers and regenerative healing powers. Albeit, I agree with you folks, had he fallen off that plane, th- that would have been ouchy, yeah, <laughs> you know. So, what's the debate? I, I didn't. I'm, you, you piqued my uh, curiosity. I, well, I don't. You know, it's not necessarily that. I mean, it's. it's <clears throat> I'm surprised by the debate, but like, you know, what what Spider-Man should have chosen to do, um, you know, with Vulture, uh, whether or not he should have done what he did, and I'd say yes, especially for like a kid. Yeah. Ooh, he saved yeah. him instead of just killing him, him, right? Yeah. Yeah. As it, like I felt this movie really straddled the line between uh, technology, what makes mm-hmm. him Spider-Man with the technology, and without. Because I think the Tobey Maguire versions, you actually saw that like the web and was embedded into him. It was part of his physical biological system. Right. That like it was part of him physically, and the, and I felt with this one we didn't really see that. We only saw the technology was the reasons why he had abilities that mm-hmm. he could like sling every which way but the strength I really like the moments where he actually showcased the physical strength when it came to you know lifting all that rubble off of himself Um, it's like yeah you do believe that he does also have some physical abilities within himself albeit from the technological side yeah and and that scene in in which you just talked about that actually is um it was very important 
that scene because it's a it's a bit of an Easter egg scene. Yeah, isn't it straight off of like a comic book cover? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I'm not even sure if it's a comic book it's cover, actually, but no, it's, it's actually owed to one of the a Ditko, Marvel. Uh, yeah, very important comic in which uh, both the director and Kevin Wright Youth said it's really important that we have this scene because this is they, they felt that in this movie this is where he realizes who he is, his strength, and he has that rocky attitude of, I can't give up because I'm Spider-Man. Yeah. It's actually when Spider's trapped under all the rubble um, and he lifts it, it's an homage to the amazing Spider-Man number 33. Nice. Yes. Also, that scene had, like, my favorite shot of the whole movie. It was when he's looking in the reflection of the water, and you you see Mm -hmm. that his mask is underground, uh, underwater. But you see his face, and it's like a split of the mask and his face. And I just feel like I felt like I've seen that so many times, Mm -hmm. and it's just so beautiful to see it like captured so well on the big screen. And also that 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 scene itself almost like brought me to tears just hearing him um, when he was trapped under the rubble and hearing him cry out for help. And it's just like, oh man, like you can hear and feel the disparity in his voice. And like you know, he's he's isolated. You know, he has no one to rely on but himself. Right. Yeah, I really like the moment because it was great dramatic acting. Also from mm-hmm. Tom, it watching him being trapped under rubble, it literally took me back to the impossible. Watching him in, in that movie and all the physical things that he had to go through for that. I, I was agree. Like, yeah, this is why he was casted as Spider Man. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, and you sort of kind of well, you needed something like that in this movie um, as well. But, you know, there's always... See, I thought you were going to bring up the age-old debate because... Oh, uh, at the ending scene? Well, no, the the, the webs. Like, whether they're organic or whether they're a chemical. And I get... I get both sides of the argument. But to me, if you get bit by a spider and you take the powers of a spider, part of that's going to be... The webs. The webs. Now, somebody can can argue, well, then then the web would come out of his butt. Well... It doesn't have to, but to me, it always was a more organic kind of thing. And here I am doing this, like, I'm going to shoot webs. <laughs> but I get why having Peter design it, because that also means he doesn't have an endless refresh of webs. When yeah, because doing, even the he suit. He could run out. Yeah, even the suit reminded you, oh, hey, you're running low on your on your <clears throat> fluid, right. you know? Yeah. And so I was like, oh, great. There's a limitation to him. <laughs> you need some oil. <laughs> you're running low. Yeah, the, the, for me, it was something that I was previously unexposed to because, you know, um, in all the other Spider-Mans, that was never an issue. Um, and so certainly uh, certainly something new. So, yeah. It, it, actually, it was an issue in the second Tobey Maguire Spider-Man film because, remember, uh, Peter Parker, he, he wasn't eating properly because he was poor. He couldn't spend money on food, and but that also changes with his physical body because well, he wasn't replenishing himself. Yeah, well, and that's what I was like talking about, that that's a big theme in Spider-Man 2 is him actually unbecoming Spider-Man and he, throughout the movie he slowly starts well, to move not eating his food is different than having to like put in cartridges and right, right you know right. so what are your thoughts Mr. Anthony or I should call you Uncle Anthony You're taking care of Brady for me <laughs> uh, I'm sorry I kind of blanked on that one yeah, uh, right. we, uh, well we'll move on yeah <laughs> alright so um, any other story elements before we move on to more of the production elements of things 
But, you know, we were talking about Tom Holland mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, yeah, you know, it's funny because another movie that's been on cable is Heart of the Sea. And I forgot yeah, that he was in Heart of the Sea. I said, hey, that's Tom Holland. Um, and just well, recently in Lost City of Z. That's right. And, that's, and um, we have, uh, well, Tom Holland himself to talk about <laughs> how he got the job as Spider-Man. Yeah. And I think it's far more uh, interesting having it come from him. directly? All right. Yeah. Let's do it. And Tom. I think it's very interesting. I think it's a very funny, interesting story. Um, yeah, and that he it got is. casted. That it is. At the Empire Awards in London probably five years ago. And so one of the interviewers asked me I if I could him. be a superhero, who would I be? And I say, I'd like to be the Spider-Man after Andrew Garfield. And he says, would you do the reboot of the reboot? And I say, yeah, the reboot of the reboot, maybe in 10 years' time. I would never have guessed that that would first have come true and secondly have come true within five years. So it, that, was, uh, that was a crazy, crazy day for me. <laughs> and, and I think that's funny that they talk about the reboot of the reboot and again, we're only talking 15 years. And he's saying, yeah, in 10 years they're going to reboot it again. Uh, I'll do it, yeah, I'll do it then. And, um, and Tom Holland, um, like, he says personally, like, Spider-Man is his favorite yeah. uh, uh, hero, you know, uh, the comic book hero. Like, he's, he grew up loving Spider-Man. He's seen, like, all the movies. Like, he, he loves Spider-Man, and he does have a gymnastic background. So during his audition process, the, there, um, he had to do a self-tape type of audition, but there are moments called uh, inserts right. where, uh, you know, you, you say your name. You're in dance, actually, sorry. Um, you say your name and who you are and, like, a little bit about about you. And But, like, in between every certain thing, he would do, like, a some type of gymnastic move, like a backflip or something, just to show his physical ability that he can pull off these actual physical stunts right. that Spider-Man is known for. And uh, he, he went through an incredible working tra- training you know, regimen. Absolutely. Um, As they all this. do. Yeah. Uh, I think it's funny, too, because apparently for auditioning, he sent in several rounds of sending tapes of himself. And, and he recalls his final test um, it was to meet with Robert Downey Jr., um, which it almost appears as if Robert Downey Jr. had final approval as to who we're going to have for this <laughs> actor. Um, and before he could meet Tony Stark, uh, he said he actually met Robert's stand-in <laughs> first. So can, can, you, can you imagine Robert Downey Jr. goes, yeah, I'm finishing my coffee. Go meet the kid and tell me what... That's like <laughs> meeting Iron Man's suit before you meet Iron right? Man. Right, <laughs> so, you know, so, so the stand-in comes in and he goes, wow, he looks a lot like Robert. He goes, wow, but you're sort of different in real life. (laughs) And apparently that broke the ice once they found out. And then Robert Downey Jr. comes in and he said that their chemistry together, he felt the chemistry was great. And Robert Downey obviously did too, you know, because he says, okay, yeah, kid's in. Uh, I just think that that's really, I find that a funny story. Absolutely. You know. All right, so let's move on to the production side of things. And mind you, for those of you watching, um, I also encourage you, uh, you know, we're not the Marvel people necessarily. We're here to talk about movies every single week, and uh, our perspective is much different than if we were full-on Marvel fans. And that is why I say to you, we have a show dedicated Mm. just for Marvel movie fans called Marvel Movie News. Imagine that. Um, mm-hmm. So for for all things truly geek 
in the Marvel universe and how it ties into um, the other MCU properties and and uh, the, the various Easter eggs and so forth. Definitely check that out. Uh, but um, you know why have us fully rehash that stuff? We have our own different take on it, and so we hope you appreciate our take. But nonetheless, if you want to go down the rabbit hole, there's plenty more for you to. Yeah, they definitely covered this movie. Joy, uh, Joy, sorry, Coy was a is he, he's a huge fanboy of Spider-Man, and you can you can check out he like found so many Easter eggs. You can check that check out that episode. I actually covered it. That's why I know all this. <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah, and the other thing too is enlighten us be part of the discussion and you know, tell us why you may have enjoyed or not you know tell us what your easter eggs that your finds were because we well i nine out of ten unless i didn't read about it i probably i might have missed it no so i mean here's the thing as this universe grows it's honestly like a reflection of the real world we're not going to be able to keep up with everything <laughs> yeah um yeah. and so we're going to need each other as humans within the Marvel Cinematic yeah. Universe to keep each other up to date sure. um, and have those fun discussions. So uh, let's let's move on to, let's talk about our director, John Watts, sure. um, background in music videos, commercials, and, and, and uh, comedy episodes of uh, The Onion uh, and whatnot, but it was really more of his uh, movie um, that got attention, the, the Sundance one, um, which was, uh, where do Cap I Cap Car. That's it. Yeah. Um, have you guys seen that movie? I have not. I have not. I have not no. seen it. I've actually never even heard that title before. Uh, <laughs> Kevin Bacon's in it. Yeah. Hey. So that's... Winning. <laughs> that's, yeah. <laughs> Hashtag winning. That's sizzling bacon. Um, you know, but uh, we, we've talked about this in other Marvel movies where really it, it's, it's very um, parallel to TV where uh, the showrunners and the producers really are the driving force behind it. Um, and in, 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 in when you have universes like this, the directors come in for, quote, an episode, meaning, okay, Spider-Man Homecoming, do their thing, and then move on. Um, and so it's they're really not the auteur um, any, you know, not yeah, and, anymore. And, and I think it's, I'm glad you brought that up. Because this is Disney, this is the Marvel Universe, and as we've been learning, particularly with the, I was going to bring in Star Wars for two seconds, but I'm going to stick with Marvel because we've seen how uh, Marvel over, Kevin Feige oversees everything. Like, we know the controversy behind Ant-Man, and Wright was supposed to direct it, and he got let go. Made big news. And we've also talked about the directors that they're choosing for a lot of these movies, um, you know, these aren't people who have um, tentpole movies. Forget franchise and universe. They don't have, like, big movies under their belt to direct. You know, they're, they're hiring these people from comedy television shows uh, and people who've directed one independent movie before, uh, Colin Trevorrow, you know, it's going into, uh, you know, Jurassic World mm-hmm. and such, but Here's another example where we're bringing in a guy. We like his sense of style. But you also get the sense that once they start bringing almost too much of themselves into it, somebody says, whoa, I get what you're doing. We don't want that. And so it's almost like they have somebody that's going to listen and contribute to the universe to the best of their capabilities. Um... So, you know, and I think, uh, you know, John Watts did a good job uh, at doing that, but he 
he also took direction. So you're right. I think the biggest auteur is is Kevin Kevin Feige and his and crew. This, yeah. Like he basically sits down and says, "This is what we need. This is the tone." And I think he, I really think that he and his team overlook these things with a fine tooth comb to ensure as they're filming that it goes the way he wants it to go because there's a there's a master plan. So go ahead. Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Uh, I was just you know watching this you know watching this film. I thought it, I I had really no problem with the direction of it all. Mm-hmm. I completely understood and and it looked so great because and then doing the research after and learning after the fact that he John Watts didn't really have a big big name credit such as Spider Man and that he comes from the independent film world and. Mm-hmm. And the fact that this particular movie cost 35 times more than his independent movie that got him the initial job for this, it shows that, uh, yeah, he's he's actually, he's he's talented, and they saw something in him, yeah. and they gave him money and an opportunity, and he ran with it. And watching it, he, he did a great job. At the end of this film, you wouldn't realize that this guy only has a few films under his belt. You would never think it. Yeah, and, and again... I would be surprised if they didn't tap him, if they haven't already to do yeah. the next Spider-Man yeah. sequel. So you know, and that's what and that's what they're doing. Um, he did a good job. We actually have him. We have a video of him too talking about his excitement about uh, what it was to do to do Spider-Man. Here we go. I had a dirt bike when I was in high school, and I loved riding my dirt bike. That was the main thing in my life that I had to look forward to. And basically, I spent my whole day trying to maximize the amount of time that I would get to ride my dirt bike around. Now, imagine if you were Spider-Man. Imagine if you had Spider-Man's abilities and could do all this amazing stuff. You would spend every moment of your day trying to maximize the amount of time you get to be Spider-Man because it would be the best feeling in the world. And I think that's that's a sort of a new take that we have on it, which is Spider-Man is, you know... it. The, there is all the responsibility that comes with the power of being Spider-Man. But I think it's also important to remember how much fun it would be to be swinging from building to building. What's important about that take is notice how he didn't say I. He said this is what we felt. Mm-hmm. And and I think that, that that is important when you're in this universe, that it is a we. Your job, if you decide to accept this to direct... Uh, we have faith in you, kid. We're always here for you, kid. Whatever you need, we you got tons of resources. But just know it's always collaborative, and the decisions come upstairs. If you want to go off page, we, we don't mind ideas, but let us know first. <laughs> you know. So. Um, well, uh, Mercy, you have a lot of stuff on in terms of him immersing himself um, in the world of Spider-Man. Yeah, uh, he, so, he, he, like, of course, he, he knew about Spider-Man, but he didn't really know to the extent of all the, the stories and stuff. So he read, like, all the comic books. He, he read everything that he could get his hands on and really just know the background and the, the canon of this of this character. And then uh, he saw Civil... Uh, he sorry. No, um, he actually went down to Atlanta, I believe, when they were filming Civil War. Um, the the scene where Tom Holland, you know, is actually fighting, you know, the the Avengers, and he saw that. So, and that's when he first met Tom Holland, and he really got a part of the franchise even back then. So, 
that's, a, that's certainly a great way to to be able to dive in, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, and absolutely. it's and it's funny that you say Atlanta because this is where mo- this movie was mostly filmed was in Atlanta, um, Pinewood Studios, which. Anybody who's a big film fan and wants to know behind the scenes, Pinewood is in England. They've done a, lot, a ton mm-hmm. of stuff from James Bond, I believe Star Wars. So but they ha- they actually have a uh, they have a studio in Atlanta, which is basically their home base. And um, as a practical set, though, um, believe it or not, they actually filmed at a real Atlanta area high school for Midtown High, um, which is interesting. And but. A lot of the practical sets. And John Watts, that's the other thing, too. And I think coming from independent filmmaking, he tries to stay within his his scrappy. comfort zone. <laughs> well, Scrappy, so he wanted to do a lot of practical sets that he could, you know, where he could put his camera. And yes, there's a lot of green screen in the movie, but you can tell the practicality of, you know, whether it's Vulture's Lair the schools for which they were they were in. It's an actual school that they filmed in. Um, and I think there's, with these tentpole movies, there are a lot of directors who want more of the, that practicality because it's more tangible. And I think it, it, it looks better than CG. <clears throat> I mean, um, we'll certainly talk about it with like Dunkirk and other movies, but yeah, it's, it, it's a reoccurring theme that use the computer graphics to enhance what's pre-existing right and the more you can have something existing the better it will become so yeah and the production schedule um was not something that watts was used to being from the independent filmmaking world and stuff that the actual 80 80 shooting days um he said is almost more shooting days than he's ever had in his entire life leading up to that point yeah. just like in total, so uh, he says it was more of a marathon. Yeah, he he wasn't used to the the actual filming of like a full on big budget movie like this. Mm-hmm. So he, it's he, a marathon and a sprint at the same time. Absolutely, yeah. it's like so. Yes, he, he's a director, but he really got the the sense of what it's like to be a big time director right. and like have the ability to create something such as huge as that. Yeah, and, and again, practicality of sets. Uh, the scene in which we talked about uh, Spider-Man being underneath, uh, um, you know, the all the rubble and, and trapped in the rubble, that, that was in an old phone book warehouse that they that they used. Um, which, again, it's, you know, not in a Pinewood studio stage. You know, or maybe at least not 100% in that studio stage, but, you know, going to a practical set to give it that feel, that look, you know, I, I appreciate, uh, yeah, it, it looked, it, as far as the movie went, it looked good. Yeah. And I think for his first, let's call it a tentpole movie, you know, he did, he, he, he did not seem intimidated by the money at all. Oh. He seemed to handle it well. And, you know, for the most part, he's, he's a pretty young guy. He, yeah, yeah, very young guy. <laughs> for for a director, especially, yeah, absolutely of this uh, magnitude. Yes. So um, I think he's got he's definitely got a lot uh, future there. Um, we talked about the real school and stuff like that. Uh, let's talk about the uh, the Staten Island ferry sequence. Sure. Um, I was just looking at that in my notes because <laughs> um, we have a lot in terms of that. And uh, Mercy pulled some initial stuff about this. Do you want to kind of kick us off? Yeah, so, um, you know, the with the production designer, Oliver Scholl, he had to start modeling the actual Staten Island ferry, and they located a wooden scale model, and it, it took 
photos and measurements of the the real fairy that they would later film on um called the the spirit of america and from there the set designers richard mays and kill wong yu were able to create a 3d model and generate blueprints and for the construction of the crew and at the end of the day uh, the production team built an enormous set 60 feet wide 40 feet high and 100 feet long model for this for the ferry yeah and, and then putting it on hydraulics they were able to split the ship as determined in the computer model matching to what vfx could do i mean it's a pretty it is a it's a set piece in the movie for sure mm-hmm. um it looked really great and you had many things going on too um, and that's, again, I'm going to go back to directing. That is, that's a set piece where there's lots happening. You've got people in peril. You've got bad guys. You've got the FBI coming in, ship coming apart, water coming in, your hero trying to figure everything out. That's a lot of, that's a lot of dancing to do. And I think as a director, you really handled that scene very, very well where we didn't get lost and not know what was happening at any given moment with our superhero. It was very well done. Yeah, and it had 40,000 gallons of water where it was being, <clears throat> you know, um, splashed on, onto that set. And they, and they, like, they dumped it down the, the middle, of course, uh, and they had, like, real cars in, in the car bay area. So that it was an actual working practical set on hydraulics, no less, yeah. that were splitting apart. Um, so that's a big feat. Yes, absolutely. That's more water than I can even imagine. Yeah, um, and, yeah, and I mean, they filmed, they, they actually, they filmed two weeks in New York. Um, you know, they, they included Queens, Astoria, Sunnyside, Coney Island, Long Island, Staten Island. And um, which is cool because Amy Pascal says, yeah, it's really important that we get the New York flavor because... He is I, New York. I will say, okay. at the, because because we even jumped around to very, like we went to Washington and so forth, it didn't feel as New York to me. Right. And it, I, I, especially in comparison to Sam Raimi, I mean, all he's doing is swinging in New York. New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this one, even though they shot there for portions of it, it didn't feel as New York. Yeah, yeah it was out. Well, oh, sorry. Like, my one thing, this might be a little bit off, but when the whole monument scene, because you're down in Washington, D.C., I was like, no one's realizing that Spider-Man's not in New York right now. <laughs> no one's making this connection that why the heck would Spider-Man be in Washington, D.C. right now? What would bring him down there? Like, That's no true. one questioned it. And it's not even, like... He's a superhero. And even when it was in the news, they're like, oh, yeah, we were saved by Spider-Man. Like, what the hell is he doing in Washington, D.C.? That's a, you know, I didn't think of that question. You know who questioned ever... it? Who? The vulture. The, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, afterwards. Yeah, afterwards. But, but I was like, I, I, I would hope that the audience was a little bit smart in putting two and two together. My, my nitpickiness about was, that scene that was... And there could have been a line of dialogue or something that I missed, but I was like, dude, why are you going the hardest route to get... Why didn't you just go inside and go up the elevator shaft? You (laughs) have web slingers that would be a hell of a lot easier. And for some reason, this scene, I kept on thinking of the opening scene to Speed, which has the great elevator scene that Keanu Reeves saves the day and he's coming down the shaft and... To me, that was a far more intense scene. Where this one, I was like, why are you on the outside? Like, when you can easily get up much quicker 
if you went up the shaft, right? He's a kid. He's not thinking. No. I don't know. I, think That's it also, my, I don't know. I think it was also to show just his physical ability of climbing. Uh, maybe. Maybe. Oh. I just, to I me, there just seemed to be an easier way for him to get up there. And using the tech, I mean, he had to get into a window that that, that, that was. It just. I imagine there was a, a security lockdown. That's probably the only reason why he probably couldn't. I get think it. it was just for to create an obstacle, you know, for for Spider Man. Because then, yeah. yeah, it would have been too easy to see, go inside, climb up. No, instead we get him on the outside trying to break through this like plexiglass window. Yeah, but you say too easy. He still has to save these people in an elevator. And again, if you're able to make a scene of suspense say, in Speed, where the people do not have superpowers. Like, this guy has some superpowers that he can, like, he could try to web-sling or something, or something's not working right. There are ways that they could have crafted that to be more suspenseful, I felt. As I may mention, the action set pieces weren't the strongest for me, so I don't necessarily disagree. Um, Marissa... Uh, we we kind of touched on the on the soup, but um, we did tease that we also had a lot more, and so I want to talk about Spidey suit. Well, yeah. The, well, the cool thing is the Spidey suit. The the Marvel concept design team, um, the costume designer Louis Frogley. He says we are we are all very. Is it Louis or Louise? Oh, oh probably Louise. Sorry, <laughs> I'm butchering everybody's names today. Um, we are very we are all very influenced by the work of Steve Ditko and try as hard as possible to follow the strong imprint that he created, um, says Frogley. For the Spider-Man suit, he worked very closely with Marvel head of visual department Ryan... I'm not going to say that. His last name. Gebhardt? Um, Robin to, to achieve the look, and Ryan even worked with us to place the lines on the suit. Robin Gebhardt was the person responsible for the construction of the suit. And just the, the whole tie-in with the suit and the Marvel comic universe we know that uh, there's actually leaked leaked trailer footage from d23 in 2007 that just happened um the, it shows that tom holland's spidey is donning the actual new iron man suit uh iron spidey suit that they show at the end of this film right. that he's actually wearing it in the new upcoming avengers infinity war so these suits that we see are we're gonna see it in more films yeah so it is very important I did like, again, I like the, at least the texture aspect of this suit. Uh, I thought that they got down really, uh, I, thought it was, I, I thought the suit looked cool. Yeah, I, I, I liked it a lot too. Yeah. I agree. Um, let's talk about the Vulture, because uh, I think uh, from a production standpoint, that was, you know, um, we've talked about Tony's suit before, so, um, you know, and we've seen it before, but the Vulture, this was the first time that we've really seen that and that, that was exciting yeah it was good it was like it was saying before he's not like the Marvel Universe one of my biggest things is like usually a superhero becomes a superhero because of an outside force like gets bit by a spider gets this goo on him or something or they gamma rays or whatever mm-hmm. this is a villain that that didn't happen to so he has to create his stuff uh, himself and uh, you know he first appeared in Amazing Spider-Man number two Okay, so he's a very early on classic type of a villain. And I did like the way that his suit actually looked as if a construction person put that suit together. It looked so heavy. It looked heavy, but there was a method behind it. It looked like there wasn't anything on there that looked impractical, so to speak. 
Um, the wingspan I thought was pretty cool. Thirty six feet <laughs> for a wingspan, uh, and it was more like a vehicle aircraft that he strapped himself into rather than a jetpack, which looks heavy. <laughs> it looked really heavy, and. The concept started from Marvel's head of visual development, Ryan Meandering, who produced the template from which the costume design, uh, Louise Frogley, uh, would design the costume. And they, it was made out of like World War II fabric for the pants, slight sheen, uh, lit everything. So there was a, a tangibility in as much, or, or, or it, it just had a texture, much like Spider Man's suit. That was unlike other villains that we've seen in previous Spider-Man like movies. So, and it looked built. It looked built. It looked clunky. Um, like, like if you <clears throat> compare that to Iron Man, um, Iron Man, everything's so mechanical in the right way. This um, just looked like, I, you know, I, I don't know, like. I, I almost describe it like almost like a hydraulic lift that you have to like pump yourself as opposed to mm-hmm. having like just the lift mm-hmm. go up itself. Like this was just you had to put in the work to make the suit and make the wings work. Yeah. Versus Iron Man, the fact that Iron Man doesn't even have to be in the suit anymore. Right. And Iron Man's flying about. Yeah. That's the difference. Yeah, there was a learning curve to to, to flying the Vulture suit. Um, I also like to for the for you comic book fans, uh, his 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 fur collar for the jacket. With uh, to hint that the feathers on a real vulture once again that was respect to Steve Ditko's original vulture. Um, so they they made they took great stride as did the other movies I have to say as did the previous incarnations of Spider-Man of of paying homage to the origin to the comic book page and lifting things up off of those pages up particularly to Stanley of course. But, um, you know, and again, it is the man that makes the suit. You don't buy it if you don't buy, if you don't buy Michael Keaton yeah. as Toons, you know? And he did it really well, I, I thought. He was, uh, he played it well. And he played it like he was a guy that, okay, I learned how to use this. I made this out of alien tech. This is my suit. No. Absolutely. Um, one of the things we didn't talk about, but um, why don't we touch upon now, is the, uh, the bumpers or whatever you want to call them. The good old uh, end credit stuff. Oh, yeah. End credit sequence. Captain America. Um, you know, <laughs> well, the f- the fir- well, the first one's the um, the jail scene, then Captain America. Right. Jail scene, yeah. Um, I, I, th- I liked them because, you know, I felt those were also moments of comedic relief. Not that even though this whole film was basically light, you still had um, good actual comedy in it yeah. for laughs. Um, I enjoyed it, and actually, they filmed a bunch of those apparently. But John Watts uh, just like wrote out all these like few lines for Chris Evans to actually just read because he only had him for like a small amount of time, and he just had him do like all these stand-ups and stuff. And they actually cut a lot of them, and yeah. which will appear on the DVD Blu-ray special feature credits. Apparently. Yeah, and 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 to, to further that point, like the final button in the movie. He says, how many more of these things we got to do? Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, I mean, obviously they did a lot. Uh, I'm glad that they had fun with them. Even I love their self-awareness. The yes. Yeah. You know, and again, it just goes to uh, the Captain America jingoism. Of Stay in school, kids. And, 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 you know, kids are like falling asleep. <laughs> or, or, or is in the principal's office. Hey, I know somebody cool. Watch this. 
Um, again, it does beg the question, isn't he an outlaw? But um, regardless, they were fine little interludes uh, within the movie. Now, did you, I thought you, did you want to talk about the ending buttons? The, the, the jail? Yeah, I um, guess. I mean, you know, um, it's certainly, that's kind of where it can head into next. Um, you, you know, because uh, right now where it leaves it is, um, you know, Vulture knows the secret, but he's, he's tight-lipped. He's D&D, as they say, deaf and dumb. He's not going to say nothing. Right. Um, but it'll be interesting to see where that goes. And uh, in terms of uh, buttons, uh, I thought, you know, what I appreciated about this was it was a very simple thing. Um, it uh, it sets up things you don't know necessarily what, but at the same time it closes out a story as well. Um, which most things just kind of, it, it just thrusts you into this world and you're like, well, what does that mean? Where is this going? And it just sparks too many things, whereas this is... It, it has more of a sense of conclusion rather than a sense of beginning. And did you did you pick up on that the character that approached him was the one of the henchmen at the ferry? Yeah. Because a friend of mine said, I didn't know who that guy was. I go, well, he was a henchman, uh, he was a henchman on the ferry thing. And he's like, really? He goes, I don't remember seeing him. I said, I get that. It's not like he was in that scene a ton. And there was a lot of other people going on. But did you... Um, you recognized him too at the um, end, like uh, as him being at the ferry, the guy that Toons no. runs into. No. Yeah, Anthony. I actually didn't catch that part essentially, but I did like have hints as to who he was at the very end. And if you notice, he had a a tattoo of a scorpion, scorpion. on his neck. Yeah. yeah, so I'm guessing they're building him up to be a scorpion. Yeah, apparently so. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's talk editing. Um, a couple of things to note here. Um, Dan Lebentau, uh, he edited it, and um, you know, very John Watts is very grateful for his work on this. Um, he's done other of the Marvel uh, movies, whether Iron Man, Ant Man, um, and as Watts points out, and Thor, I think. <laughs> um, and so, and one of the cool things, one of the one of the more interesting things that I found. Um, the first cut ended up being shorter than the movie, which is practically unheard of. It really rare. is. That's very rare. Yeah, rarely do people say, you need to put more in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it shows that, uh, you know, whenever someone has that ability, because um, it's always easier to add in, quote, babies and, and expand things than it is to cut out babies. Sure. Um, and babies being, like, Things you're just in love with, not actual babies. For right. those of you not in the film world, slay your uh, darlings. Yes. Um, so it just it it showed that he was committed to this idea of <clears throat> creating the best product rather than like, oh my god, I love this. We have to keep this in. Right. Um, which is a hard thing to do. And it's very efficient and economical. Mm-hmm. And I think unless you haven't shot stuff. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. I don't know. I mean, like, oh, we need... Because what what, what is heard of, and we've, and we've heard of this before, but it's usually when a production is in trouble, like, they'll say, we need more humor, or we need to lighten this up more, or... And then sometimes they have to reshoot. Now, I don't know what the case is on this, but it didn't feel... I will say this, this movie didn't drag... No, no, it didn't. And uh, John Watts himself said that actually there's no big scenes was cut 
out of the film, so they didn't cut anything big. But it was more just figuring out how long or short it should be, like each particular scene. So that's how he had to play with the, yeah. the time span and time duration of this film. Yeah. So there weren't big moments cut out that, that would change the exposition or change the actual narrative of the story, which I appreciate. Yeah, same here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, music. Uh, good old Michael Giacchino. Yep. Uh, yep. Started with started since the uh, Doctor Strange days here at Marvel, and uh, I, I um, the the spider the the Spider Man Spider Man. Right. Um, I I enjoyed that they brought that in. Mm-hmm. That was that was really cool. It's such an iconic thing. Yeah, and which I think has been, I I can't recall. Uh, the Amazing Spider-Man, the Andrew Garfield Spider-Mans, if they really cleverly that. incorporated that in. I know they did in the Sam Raimi movies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the way that Michael Giancino um, incorporated it in the opening overture for this, I, I thought was very clever. Um, you know, I thought the score to this was... I thought it was good. I didn't... There's so many superhero movies out now that the scores blend in, especially in the Marvel Universe. Well, because they all start sounding alike. Right. Yeah. So, you know, that's why when you see a Guardians of the Galaxy, when you have score with source music, it's refreshing. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And you know me, I I do love score. Um, Gene Kano's score was fine for this movie. It was a... Superhero. I, I really enjoyed it. I yeah. especially enjoyed it during the, the moment uh, of all the rubble, and he's, like, lifting it off. You, you get, and even Giancino said it, uh, himself that was his favorite moment when he was pinned um, because there's a sadness to the pain and struggle, and it's a big heroic type of upswell mm-hmm. of music com- compared to the plucky and clumsiness that, <laughs> uh, as he says, as it as it has been up until that point. You you felt the dramatic um, sense of, you know, the realness of him, like, right. becoming who he was. Absolutely. And then also because, you know, we mentioned it earlier with, like, the John Hughes type of thing, they actually did try to do a bunch of, like, 80s synth-like um, noise, like, in, in text, um, technological cues for, right. for the me- uh, movie, but it actually really didn't work, and they ended up cutting it. So there was a like a lot of '80s sounds and '80s songs that they originally wanted to be a part of this film, but it just wasn't working out. Yeah. And that's where more the orchestral came over. Yeah, which is interesting. Well, there you go. Um, another interesting fact: shifting gears, though, uh, this movie in promotional value cost 140 million dollars. Um, spanning over 30 brands. So talk about collaboration, right? Um, and in terms of Sony, it's on par with uh, their 007 movies. So they haven't gone this deep into it in quite a while. Um, as I may mention, um, Tony Stark, Robert Downey Jr. was right. in all the marketing, no he matter was. what. Uh-huh. Um, and so it got a lot of people excited, but at the same time, you know, um, I did feel... I don't know. I didn't know kind of what to think about it. It almost felt like a buddy comedy movie between them um, from the marketing. Right. And so that's why I was kind of... uh, It was interesting to see that that wasn't fully the case. You know, that Tony Stark is very much, you know, the slap of the hand. Don't do that. Don't do that. Right. 
Um, regardless, uh, <clears throat> the marketing paid off because this movie is <laughs> it's making money. It it's making, definitely is. Yeah. It's, I mean, thus far, let's do a quick, uh, thus far domestically, since its release uh, on July 7th, um, $264 million domestic. Um, foreign, we're talking $320 million. So this reboot, this reinvestment into Spider-Man for Sony, too, that's a big deal. That's like the biggest thing that they've had in a long time, considering what the fallout that they've had since the hacking and all that stuff. It opened up number one. Um, of course. $117 million. Do you know, there were some people that said it was going to be doing like 95, 98, and I'm like, I don't know how this doesn't do a six-figure um, number. You know, and its budget, production budget's like 175. You're, you're looking close to like $300 million budget, which foreign has already Paid pulled for. in. Yeah. So they're marketing to really, I think, specifically went in for you, you mentioned at the very beginning about how you felt this went for a younger audience. And like every Spider Man movie I've been to, there's always been kids in it, whether it's Tobey Maguire or Andrew Garfield, dressed as Spider Man. Um, in fact, I saw it at the theater when I saw this uh, opening weekend. But the marketing seemed more teenager ish than it has been before. The final poster with him laying down wearing the, the, the yellow hoodie. Um, you know, eating a churro or whatever it was, hanging on the thing. So their marketing, I think, on this movie was it was a little more targeted, but it, the dividends that paid off were fantastic, I think. And it plays to be a... You said it was lighter. I really think that that helped with parents. Yeah, that bringing, they could go see it. That they would see it. And at the end of the movie, they might, they, they might not be second-guessing Whoa, what, wow, that was a little bit heavy for my kid. So I think that tonal change helps a lot, too, for, repeat, for, too, for repeatability factor. However, it should be interesting to note that Homecoming had the largest second-week drop of any other Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. Now... Obviously, it doesn't affect the $264 million gross that much. Um, but I do find that it's interesting that uh, it had the highest drop, which I think it was about 60% mm-hmm. well, from also, its opening weekend. Also, in fairness, like it opened like July 4th weekend, so that was a weekend to go see the movie. It was after July. Yeah, but it yeah, was July after, 7th. but like mm-hmm. it, it was around a national holiday that mm-hmm. people would be able to go see this. So... so. I just found it. I found that to be an interesting stat. What uh, came out? Uh, War of the Pla- War for the Planet of the Apes. War for the Planet of the Apes. Uh, what else came out? Then? Nothing else really. Came nothing. Out there. Nothing really big in tentpole, and I think that surprised a lot of people it's because. It's me around that time too. Yeah, I think that a lot of people oh, felt okay. War wouldn't be number one; that it would still come in second to Spidey, mm-hmm. but it came in at number. It, it did come in at number one and I think Spider-Man was number two um, you know we want to talk if we can for a second talk about perception of this movie um, this has been happening a lot and I noticed it on Spider-Man there's something something that I'm calling overhype overhyping over 
overcapitulating on a movie because I've read so many reviews where the reviewer said best cinematic, best Marvel Cinematic Universe movie ever made. Best in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I didn't do the research to look up these reviewers past, but we're overpraising stuff. Like, I got an argument with a friend who said, this movie's great. And I said, well, your definition of great, my definition of great, I think differ. I don't think it was a great movie. And I'm not saying this movie was horrible, so I don't want to get the wrath of people to think that I think this movie sucks. I'm just not finding this to be... This isn't on a Guardians of the Galaxy, which, again, people were saying that was the best Marvel Cinematic Universe. I think people's memories, they're, they're either forgetting or we're just giving too much praise well, I think there's too much to of things. a dichotomy. I mean, it's from 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 the news news standpoint. It's it's either got to be fantastic or it's got to suck. You know how do you how do you like how do you sell a, a headline of like Spider-Man: Homecoming, wonderful movie, or uh, like like you know like middle of the road movie, blah blah. blah. Well, but, but, but again, not and this is where I'm going. Not every not every movie has to be great. Because if they were, then going to the movies is boring, right? Because nothing special. So a movie like Spider-Man, it can be a very good movie. It can be a good movie. It, that's the other thing that I think really hurts, too. And I always hate this in discussion about movies. What did you think of this movie? And people will start off with, well, it wasn't great, but it was really good. Well, don't start off with, once you start off with, it wasn't great, that's a negative aspect, even if you end up liking the movie. Just say what you thought of the movie. I thought the movie was really good. It's a good movie. It's a fun movie. It's worth seeing on the big screen. There's nothing wrong with that. But by overpraising, it was sort of kind of killing that middle movie that might not be great, but it's still very entertaining and enjoyable to watch in the big screen. So, I don't know. All these people who said that this was great and the best MCU movie, I... I sort of kind of again I, I understand I think it's, it's all refreshing opinion. and different. It's different. Yeah. So and so by that it's like oh it's you know So is in Guardians of the Galaxy. And I think Guardians the first one is still a better movie. I agree. Um I you know, I think people part part of it is uh they react to the timing of things, right? So sure. based on the emotion of how they're going and, and whatnot and I just do think people are naturally Wired in a sense to to just have extremes and they can't land somewhere in the middle. Yeah, and I think also the problem is there are now so many Marvel movies. How do you compare them to the other ones that are already out? So, like, is it good enough to be better than this movie, or is it you know more crappy than this movie? You know, and I, I think it's just also with just the oversaturation. And again, this is an opinion based show, so everyone's opinion is going to be different. Doesn't mean you're wrong. Doesn't mean you're right. Well, it means I'm right. <laughs> no, but, but again, I look at Ant Man and Ant Man from a story standpoint and everything. I think they, I thought that was even a, like a better movie. That was a good movie. Also, um, not a standalone. You know, uh, more of a standalone than this. I think. Well, there's a Ant whole Man. fight with the with Angel. <laughs> Oh, I forget his name. I'm sorry. Falcon. Falcon. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Falcon. He's in the movie for that scene. Like, he doesn't keep on coming back like Tony Stark does. But I'm just saying, like, even for Spider-Man, I like the first two. And then I put this one mm -hmm. in there. I, this is far better than Spider-Man 3. 
was. And oh my God, yeah. <laughs> I had my issues. As much as I liked Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone, I thought that they picked good casting. Um, obviously, they have good chemistry, I think. But I had problems with the stories. And again, talk, talk about multiple villains. This one, to me, is my as a Spider-Man movie as a whole. I think it, it for me, it comes in at three. How about for you, Marissa? Well, I'm, I can't really place it. No. But I okay. think... I think these were actually better than a lot of them that I've seen. I can't really place it on the fly right now. But we know that there's more films coming out. Absolutely. This, John Watts is already in talks for the second one, and he's pr- basically practically signing his name now. Um, and we, we know that uh, Tom Holland is actually contracted for three movies. So. Was he three? Because I yeah. thought he was down for like something like eight. Yeah, I think uh. like they're in talks that he's... A, He's going to make appearances in six different movies, mm. but he's contracted for three Spider-Man movies. Spider-Man movies, okay. And, like, have appearances in, like, he had one in Civil War. He's sure. going to have one in Infinity War. And so, probably like, Infinity War 2. Yeah, so, like, he's going to have other appearances, too, which would make it anywhere from six to eight. Right. But he's contractually obligated for three Spider-Man movies. Oh, okay. So we're going to get more. I mean, in terms of that, I... I, I Timbers of Reception, um, obviously this is doing great for me. Um, I I am starting to discourage people from making like a top ten list and things like that. Everyone always, the number one question like, oh, you love movies, oh, what's your favorite movie? You know what? I think it just depends on the moment. It's the, mom- it's the movie I would want to watch. It's the movies that I, I appreciate and return to and so forth. Like, what are my favorite movies? But to say I have a favorite movie... And to be able to rank them, I think it's a load of horseshit. It's it's right. it's my it's the hardest question that I get because it's, it's a bullshit question. Yeah, yeah, but 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 you do understand where it's coming from. Now, when we talk about reception too, the cinema score on this was an A. Yeah. Okay, ninety three percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and again, ninety three percent for me is high. This is at be- for me at best. This is a mid eighties. At worst. High 70s, low 80s, at worst. At best, mid 80s. 93%. That's, that's really good. Like, you are putting it up there. With, I mean, it's near perfect. Like, yeah. And it's, it's, it's not. It's near. not. And I'm just wondering, where did all of this praise come from? We have to settle. We have to be. We have to settle good down. With, well, you know what? Though, I think marketing does have. It had good can marketing. Play. Like, I, I've that. been seeing trailers and promo spots and trailer spots for this all year. Yeah. All year. I was like, yeah, I knew it. And, but, like, not once did I actually get tired of it. Mm-hmm. There are other films where I'm like, yes, I get it. It's coming out. <laughs> I'm going to watch it. Yeah. Like, I know it. But, like, I was really still okay. looking forward to the seeing this film. Yeah. So, fair enough. All right, guys. Well, I think that about does it for us. Um... On behalf of at Serafini TV, correct? That's right. How ironic still to this day. <laughs> Every time you mention that. Because it still remains ironic to this day. Yep. Uh, <laughs> for this show. You'll say it for the show. For this particular At the movies. 17 <laughs> you know zero 01. Hey, and so I've been doing something sort of kind of cool, and I think it might even help this show. I've been actually tweeting out my reviews. So I make it into a link. You can see my full review so that when I come here, I can sort of kind of do a more abridged review. And you can get right into the meat of things, but you'll get to see a good draft of where I'm pulling from. 
Um, so that's something new. Let me know if you like that or not. But uh, I'm trying to my best to, to use social media to my benefit. <laughs> and, and I hope that you support me in that goal. There you go. <laughs> As I mentioned, um, our rundown is in the show notes, so feel free to click there, download it, and so forth. And uh, do let us know your thoughts, your opinions on this movie. Um, I'm sure uh, there's plenty of Spider-Man fans out there, so we want to hear from you guys. There's so many perspectives from this. Uh, and let us know how did it compare to Tobey Maguire, how did it compare to Andrew Garfield, and how did it just compare to the comics. Whatever you want to talk about, we're here to talk about it with you. Um, until next time, we've got Dunkirk, we've got uh, War of the Planet of the Apes, we've got Atomic Blonde, so on and so forth coming up. And we've also covered many movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe oh, in the past, such so as Captain, Captain America, Civil War. So check out some of those. Um, have some. Uh, go through the library. It's quite an extensive library. Absolutely. Um, we'll see you guys next time. Bye, y'all. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the rest of the Anatomy of a Movie staff, we would like to thank you for listening and subscribing to the show. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email or tweet us. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been Anatomy of a Movie.